something we say here a lot is that we want to help you. Our, you. We say that your story is hidden in the Christian story, and we want to help you find it. In fact, the whole reason that we, the Grove exists is to help you find your story. And here's what that means. There's two stories happening simultaneously. There's your story, and then there's this cosmic story of Christ. And to find the true story of you, is to be, the story you're meant to find, is to be swept up into this Christian story. So here, here's what I have found happens. A lot of times people feel like they have a good understanding of what Christianity is. When in actuality, it's not really what Christianity is saying. And so what happens is people are actually rejecting something that they think is Christianity when it's not actually Christianity. So what we've said is we've got to be able to be a place where people can talk about faith and doubt so that they can bring their doubts, so that they can bring their questions about Jesus, so they can actually discover the true and real Jesus. Because he has gone undiscovered for many people without actually realizing it. So when I was young, I had a lot of questions. I had questions about Jesus. I had questions about the Bible. Can I trust it? What about science? And so I've got all of these questions, and I'm asking these questions. And it's like I'm seen as this rebellious kid for having these questions. And really, I'm just curious, and I want to understand, but I'm not allowed to ask these questions. So what we said is, let's be a place where believers and skeptics can have authentic community and honest conversations about faith and doubt. And today, today is a testimony that there's a great need for what we are doing here. So today, what we're going to do right after this, right after, we're going to head over to the beach, and there's 13 people today who want to be baptized. And so I, I don't know if you know, I mean, that's a, like... That is super, super, super amazing, and today is special for the Grove because it's special for these 13 people who have been swept up into this grand Christian story. I mean, to be baptized, what it's saying is you've found new life. There's this whole other way to live, and you have found it by being swept up into this whole story that's happening around us that maybe you didn't know was there, but now you've found it. And that's what baptism is all about. And so when we're thinking about Christianity, for the Christian, when the Christian says, okay, this is what it means to be a Christian, here's what we're thinking. The Christian would say, I'm an orphan who's been adopted by the living God, and now I can call him Father. It's about people who knew that they were homeless. They felt homeless, like this is not their home, but they know that Christ has come to prepare a place for them in a castle with God. To be a Christian means you know that you were once lost, but you are now found. It's to feel that you are standing at the altar alone, longing to be loved by a love that's from out of this world, and that this love, this pursuing love has come and found you, and he has claimed you as his own, and so he is yours, and you are his. To be a Christian means that you see that beauty has come up out of the ashes of your life. It's a story of crying that's turned to joy. It's a story of the dead coming to life. There's a whole new way to live, and it's a story of sinners who have tasted grace. 
So we're going to be in Romans today. We're going to be in Romans 6. I'm going to read verses 3 through 11, and then we're going to jump back into the Old Testament, and I'm going to read for, me, for you from Isaiah 44, verse 3. So I think it's going to be up on the screen for you, so here you go. Romans 6, verses 3 through 11. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that... Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God, so that you also might consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then Isaiah 44, verse 3 says, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and the streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. So the first thing I just want to ask, we got to ask, is what is baptism? Now, what our verses here are looking at, our verses are pointing to a spiritual baptism that's happening. But what we're doing later today at the beach, it is a physical expression of something that is already true for that person spiritually. So spiritually, you have a new life in a baptism. When people are baptized, it is a visual word of what is already true for them. It's visual words of the gospel. The word gospel means good news. It's visual words that you can look at these words that are being acted out before you. The visual words of this grand story, it's someone publicly acting out what is already true for them. It's like this sign flashing in public. There is new life here. A new story has been found. So let me show you what I mean. I want you to imagine for a minute that you're like, the, you're a seven-year-old orphan. You're the seven-year-old orphan, and you're going, you're going to school, and, uh, and everybody knows in your school that you're an orphan. Your teachers know, your, your friends know, you're in the foster care system. Your, your name is Jane Smith or Joe Smith or something. So you go to school with all your friends. They know that you're an orphan, and then one weekend... All of your greatest dreams come true. You get adopted. And you meet your foster, I mean, you meet your new parents. You're out of the foster care system. You meet your new parents, and they're amazing, and they love you perfectly. You are now a completely different person in your own eyes. And one of the ways that you're a new person is you have a new name because you've been adopted. So you go back to school on Monday because they live in the same town. But here's the thing, you get to school, nobody knows that you're different yet. No one knows. And so you get there on Monday, and Monday you have to give a presentation. Seven-year-old's giving a presentation, I don't know, just go with it, okay? And so the seven-year-old's about to give a presentation, and the teacher says, okay, Jane Smith, 
it's your turn. Get up and give the presentation. But that's not your name anymore. And so you sit there motionless, unmoved. The teacher says again, Jane Smith, get up. Come on, it's time. But yet you sit there unmoved. And so the teacher marches over, pretty annoyed at you right now, and says, Jane Smith, it is your turn. And you look up and you say, ah, that's not my name. And you go and you stand up in front of the room and you say, hello, my name is Jane Johnson and I have been adopted. And the whole room erupts in this grand celebration because you who have longed to be adopted have finally been adopted and you're sharing it for all because they didn't know it, but now they do because you have now told them and that is what baptism is about. So if you're getting baptized today, you are like that child who is now proclaiming to the world around you that now you have a whole new identity, you have a whole new life in Christ. And you're saying, I'm now a child of God, and I can actually call him my father. There's so much intimacy in that that is found in our baptism. It's a public announcement. Your story has been swept up into this Christian story. You stand before the world as a sign that is flashing. New life, new life, new life. It's a story that is sealed and marked by a rescuer. And so if you're just watching these baptisms today, you're there to celebrate with these people, to celebrate what's happening the same way that you would see this this child, this seven-year-old has finally been adopted, and you're so happy for them because they have found this whole new identity. If you're watching people get baptized, that is what you're doing. You're celebrating with them as this is happening. Okay, so what is the story now? So what is happening during, during a spiritual baptism? What's this all about? Here's what's going on. There's a union between two stories. So you have the Christ story and you have your story. And one of the most beautiful pictures that the Bible keeps on painting for us over and over and over again is that we are now united to Christ. We are one with him. That's what's true of the Christian. When it keeps talking, it keeps saying these words, we are in Christ, we are with Christ, we do things through Christ. It's because we are united to him and we are one with him. I mean, if you're going to look at the center of everything, at the heart of what the Bible keeps trying to tell us, it's this beautiful picture of us sinners being united to the Son of God so that we might have new life in Him. That's what's being painted before us. So we're going to do another imagine. Um, so I want you to imagine now there's two, there's two completely different people, and uh, one person's story is categorized by a lot of running. We're going to call this person the running rebel. They're just running and running, and they're specifically running from this other person who we're going to call pursuing love, because this person, the one called pursuing love, is chasing after the running rebel, but the running rebel keeps on running from this one called pursuing love, and because the running rebel keeps running from love, he is lonely, he is angry, he feels helpless, he feels hopeless, and because he feels all of these things, this is what happens. He erupts in anger, and he just his whole life is committed to the series of crimes. And somehow, this guy goes his whole life, the running rebel goes his whole life without getting caught. 
And he doesn't get caught by the authorities. He doesn't get caught by the one called pursuing love. But then one day, he's caught by the authorities. And he stands there and his whole life plays before his eyes. And he says, oh no, this is not good. And then the sentence comes in. And the sentence is guilty. And the penalty is death. And the running rebel's like, oh no, what's happening? What's happening? This is really, really bad. And then all of a sudden, the one that's called pursuing love, his voice yells out. And he says, stop. Forgive him. He does not know what he has just done. And now this one called pursuing love, here's what he knows. He knows that what he's doing right now is going to be costly. He knows that the love that he has for this running rebel is going to cost him everything. But he doesn't care. So he goes up and he says, I am his, he is mine, we are one together. This is what the pursuing love says about the running rebel. It says, we are one. And then the running rebel says to pursuing love, ah, you don't know. They just told me that I'm sentenced to death. And pursuing love says, I know. And he says, we are one. Everything that I have done, you have now done. And everything that you have done, I have now done. Do you see that? This is an exchange. And so, the one called pursuing love says to the running rebel, here's the deal. We are one, but I'm going into death first. All the penalty, all the, pen, all the punishment for everything you've done, I'm going in first. And so, the one called pursuing love walks right into death. And the running rebel follows. And the running rebel gets into death. He's surrounded by death. And he looks around and he says, all of the crimes, all of the things that I have done wrong, the penalty, the debt has already been taken care of because the one called pursuing love has already been punished for all the things that I have done. And he looks around and he says, oh, there's no debt to be paid. Death has no hold of me anymore. And then not only that, but everything that the one that's called pursuing love has done whole life, lived perfectly, loved perfectly, is all credited to this running rebel. So it's like this running rebel is standing like winning the Nobel Peace Prize, and this one called pursuing love gets the worst punishment because took the record of the running rebel. Now, that is what union with Christ is all about. We are that running rebel, and he is the one that is called pursuing love. And it's the mingling of those two stories where he has united himself to us, and he gets all of the, all of the rewards for the life we have lived, and we get all of the rewards for the life that he has lived. Maybe I should say the punishment for the life we have lived, and we get the rewards for the life that he has lived. And that's, in these verses, that's exactly what Paul is saying when he's talking about baptism. By faith, Christ gets the worst of it, and we get the best of it. There's an exchange that happens, and no other love could do this for you. We bear the burden for our crimes and then live because he lived. He bared the burden. We're united with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Guys, don't miss this. So now, listen, by faith, 
you stand and it's as if you have already died and come back to life because all the, the death is chasing after all of us. We got it. What, what are we going to do about this? Christ says, I'm the only way for you to do something about it. And death holds on to what it owns and it owns what is sinful. And then he comes in and he breaks it all apart so that we can just simply pass right through death. You're a slave to being a running rebel and slave to the crimes that you've committed, yet he's come and set you free because he became a slave in your place. <laughs> Listen to this. Before, before death had hold of you, now because he's gone before you, you are too slippery for death to hold onto. So you're like, so... Imagine a five-year-old child trying to grasp hold of a sumo wrestler that's covered with this slippery soap. It couldn't happen. So the same way, the sumo wrestler, you, listen, you can laugh at death, actually, right now. You can laugh at death the same exact way that the sumo wrestler could laugh at this child that's trying to body slam him, and the sumo wrestler is covered with this slippery soap. I mean, it's just laughable, and you can laugh at death that way now, too. It's exactly what we are promised. In, in, uh, in the last Harry Potter movie, there's a line uh, where someone says this to Harry Potter. They say, don't pity the dead. Pity the living. But most of all, pity those who do not know love. And in your baptism today, the celebration that you have found the one that is called pursuing love. He's chased you down and you've spent your life running from him. But he grabbed hold of you and would not let you go until you realized he's the greatest thing that has ever happened to you. Oh man, I hope you guys are getting what I'm saying. Uh, it's the, the news of what has happened to you. And then when you're being baptized, remember, so you're, you're going down into the waters and you're coming out of it. But listen, here's what you got to know. Christ went down into the waters of death. This is what the picture is. He went down into the waters of death and came up out of it. So you can now simply pass through death like it is just water. You go down into it and come up out of it because it has no hold on you. You are too slippery for it. And because you've already, because he's already died for your crimes, it's as if you have already now died for those crimes. The penalty's already been paid, and now you just live at peace knowing that all of your sins have been washed away, past, present, or future. And if you've already been baptized and you're a Christian, I want to tell you something. You do something. I do this all the time. I forget about the spiritual baptism that is already true for me. And I have guilt in my life and I have shame in my life and it haunts me because I don't really believe that he's already taken care of the guilt. He's already taken care of the shame. It's already been taken care of on the cross. You know, I mean, do you know if you are a Christian what you can do? You can dance on the grave of sin. You can dance on the grave of shame. You can dance on the grave of guilt and of death. It's underneath you now, and you can dance upon it. 
And there's a lot, of, a lot of us Christians that we don't know how to dance very well. And this is a beautiful image of what baptism is. This going down into the water and coming back up. But you know what? The Bible gives you another beautiful image of baptism. You know what that beautiful image is? It's water being poured down upon you. So, there's, so, so picture the water being poured down upon you. Now, there's a little debate in Christian circles over, should a Christian, someone who's like, I believe this, I'm going to be baptized, should they be immersed, dunked down into the water, and brought back up, or should water be poured down over them? And I'm going to tell you, the debate is silly, because it's completely missing the point. Both are true. There are, you have been gone down into the water and come back up out of it. You have new life. And there are all of these riches that are being poured down upon the Christian. So today, if you're like, oh, I want to be dunked, I want to go down in the water, come up, do that. If you want me to pour water over you, we do that. If you want me to sprinkle some water in your face, I probably won't do that. Um, so, so I want to read to you. This is, our other, this is our other verse. So we're back in Isaiah 44, verse 3. It says, for I will pour... Pour water on the thirsty land and streams on your dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. So these riches that are being poured down upon us, it's like, okay, God's going to give me some money. God's going to give me a house. God's going to give me a car. Just let me ask you this. Do you think the living God is like, oh, I'm going to give you something so amazing? He's like, here's some keys to a car. Here's a house. Here's some money. No way. He's got, and some of you guys are like, yeah, that would be good, actually. I could go for that right now. He has something so much greater for you. So much greater. If you are poor and you, and you meet someone that is disgustingly rich, like they have so much money. They don't know what to do with all this money. You meet someone like that and you fall in love with them, and you love them for the right reasons, you get married. You know what happens? You're now disgustingly rich. And that person that you married, they worked really hard for their money, but you didn't. But it's still yours. Now watch this. Our union with Christ is the same thing. He did all the work. He has all the treasures in heaven. And when we go to him by faith, we're united to him. And all that is his is now ours. He shares it all with us. All of it. You, know, you don't want a house. Maybe a house in heaven. I mean, you guys dream bigger, will you? Um, so the question now is, okay, so all these treasures in heaven are being poured down upon us. What are, what are these great treasures that makes a million dollars look like a dirty penny on the ground? What are these great treasures in heaven that, that if we looked at them, we would see a million dollars and say, that just looks like a dirty penny on the ground compared to what is coming to me and what I already have in Christ? What are these great treasures? Here they are. There's three of them. First one, you have a whole new record in Christ. So what that means is all of the things that you have done, he takes them from you. And all of the things that he has done, he gives them to you. They're his. The cross is about him dealing with all of the things that you have done in your life. And then 
It's about him trading with you and saying, now here's all the things I've done. Here's the blessings coming down. Here's the riches coming down. The life that I live perfectly, it is now yours. And not only that, do we have this whole new record, but then we're called sons and daughters of the living God. Like loved by God with the same amount of love that he has for his firstborn son, Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm not done yet. The other thing, you know, you know the Bible calls, calls us the bride of Christ. That means we're standing at the altar alone, longing to be loved by a love that's from out of this world. And he came into this world, and he came down the altar, and he came to get us. I want you to know something. Your treasure that you really seek, it is hidden. Do you know where it's hidden? Right underneath a crown of thorns. That is where your treasure is. So that's the first problem, this new record that just rained down upon you. Second is a new heart. Where before you had these wants, you had these desires, and now all of a sudden you start wanting God, and you're like, that's weird, like I want God now. This is strange to me that I just want him. And, and you, stop, you stop wanting the things that you had before. You start wanting him more now. And then he says, yeah, and I am yours and you are mine. And then here's what he starts doing to you. He starts changing you more and more into who you are made to become. So in this new story for you, there's a version of you that God has written out that you are made to become. And so to find your stories, to be swept up into that, and here's what God does. He says, every single day, I'm making you more and more and more into who I've made you to be. So just trust it, because it's going to happen. I'm going to do it. And even when you're like so frustrated with yourself, like, man, I keep failing, like I keep doing things I don't want to be doing, just relax. Because God has made a promise. He's going to change you and change you and change you. My change never happens as fast as I want. But I know that God's made a promise that he's going to change me. Tons of stuff wrong with me. But he's made a promise, so I can trust that. So that's the second. And the third, this great treasure, this third, is that one day, despite everything that we're seeing, one day... There will be a new world where there will no longer be hurting, death, or pain. A place where we do not lose our loved ones, a place where dementia is forgotten, and a place where cancer gets its own cancer, and it's gone. And it's a place where a celebration is always in order. That's what we're promised. Now, you're a Christian, I'm an, I, I want to talk to you. Like, we forget this. We don't remember what is true for us. We forget it. We ignore it. And if we'll just take hold of the truth behind this, this is all pointing to our baptism. If we'll just take the truth behind this, we're going to live a whole lot more different. And if you're skeptical of Christianity, at least admit you wish this was true. At least admit that you hope this is true. Now, do you know what faith is? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So if you're just hoping or wanting it to be true, and faith is the assurance of things hoped for, then you might be closer to becoming a Christian than you think. All right, and then, and then one, one thing too. So 
a lot of people ask, okay, well, what's the deal with infant baptism then? Because an infant can't, we can't know if an infant believes something to be true. Like, for example, like today, my daughter, Harlow, she's three months old. She's going to get baptized. Well, how does she make all of these declarations that we've talked about? Well, she doesn't. So what, then why would we baptize her? Here's why. Here's the whole point behind infant baptism. Infant baptism is picking up on a custom that was in the Old Testament where children of believers would be brought and belong to a community of faith. They, they're part of believers. They're part of a community of believers before they actually believe. Now, basically, what this means today is infants are not baptized and somehow magically turn into Christians. Infants are baptized into the church. And then here's what happens. When, a, like when my daughter Harlow is baptized into the church... I am making a partnership with the church, which is kind of weird because I'm the pastor, so I guess I'm in a way making a partnership with myself, but I didn't really think about that, so ignore what I just said. So an infant, uh, the parents are making a partnership with the church to say, we are going to raise this child together. We want to raise this child so that they might one day believe, and we're going to talk to them over and over and over again about the riches of the grace that are being poured down upon this child, and we're going to surround this child with rumors Rumors of grace and rumors of love so that one day, hopefully this child might say, oh, the rumors are true. Despite everything that I've experienced in this world, these rumors are actually true. And that's why it's so important to create rhythms in your kid's life where they're being surrounded in church life because they need to be surrounded by these rhythms of grace and these rhythms of rest we talked about last week, these rhythms of love where they're constantly being pointed to this great love of God that has broken through this world and come for them. Essentially what we're saying to our little children is become who you're made to become. And that's what we got to do for ourselves too. Well, that's what God does for us. And we need to be made who we're made to become. So that means we've got to constantly remind ourselves of our new identity. We've got to remember and believe that though we once were orphans, we are now sons and daughters of the living God because the Son of God became an orphan on the cross so we could become sons and daughters. And we've got to say we were once homeless. We had no home. We were homeless in this world. But God sent his Son to come and become homeless on the cross so that he can make room for us in heaven in his Father's house. And we were enslaved to sin. I said the word sin. We were enslaved to sin, and yet he came, and he was enveloped in this prison of sin, and then on the cross, this prison was burned down so that sin no longer has any hold on us, and we can now dance on the grave of sin, and dance on the grave of guilt, and dance on the grave of shame, and dance on the grave of death, because it has been handled. You are no chump. You are the queen of the king of the cosmos. And you are a son or daughter of the living God. You are his treasure. And that is what baptism is all about. That is what today is all about.
just saying, I believe that's true, and I have new life in that truth, despite everything that I'm experiencing in this world. Despite the doubts that keep on plaguing me, I am taking hold of this kernel of faith that grows and grows and grows. Ah, man, I, I'm, like, I'm looking out at your faces and I'm thinking, gosh, we should be like dancing right now. Like, I mean, I know I'm not that exciting, but like, we should be dancing if this is true. The question is, why do we have such a hard time taking hold of this truth? Let's just take hold of it. All right, let me pray. God, we thank you that we, though we have run and run and run and run and run from you, that you've come after us. You haven't left us on our own. Even though we wanted to be, God, you have sought us out. Give us the gift of faith that we might take hold of this truth. God, we're just, we're tired of living like we don't believe something that we know our hearts want to believe. So God, just help us get out of the way of it all. And reveal to us, take the veil off so we might see the beauty and the glory and worth of you and your son and what you've done for us. God, we don't just want to be saying these words, but we want them to really be true for us. So God, we believe, help our unbelief. We pray this in Jesus' name.